It's time for us to go ahead and get started. If I sound like I'm out of breath, I just ran over from college class tonight. But uh, y'all come on in and have a seat. I was over there kind of explaining to the college students about the food that they are fed on Wednesday nights and the love and care that folks have for them. I was down there in the annex this afternoon and uh, they were putting one of them delicious caramel cakes together, Bobby and Kim Fowler. And I found out, you know, how they did it. It takes 33 little square caramels, and they have to be craft caramels. They can't be generic caramels. And they also use carnation 
milk, they don't use the generic milk. It doesn't work right, and they use the parquet butter. If you use generic butter, it just simply won't work. So I was just down there briefly explaining to them, the college students, all the love and care that folks down there have for them and that we have for them. And I just wanted to make sure that they knew that and that we're appreciative of the fact that they're here with us when they can be. And they're being taught the Word of God down there tonight. And I'm thankful for that, and I hope you are too. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest uh, mission opportunities we have in our community because a lot of those folks, those young college students down there, have never been to church and they've never had any kind of extensive Bible teaching. And so this is a wonderful opportunity. That, and I'm thankful that uh, our elders and the church here is allowing that to take place. I have a few announcements that I want to make tonight before we begin. First of all, of course, this is new tonight. We want to welcome you to our services. We're glad that you're here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, uh, you are our honored guest. As far as some specific announcements, I hope you'll get a bulletin uh, wherever they are in the back uh, before you leave. There's a, an extensive list of the sick that's as up-to-date probably as it can be. So be sure and take that and note those that are sick. And let's remember uh, these folks in our prayers and let's try to encourage them in any way that we can. Uh, the teens are gonna be going to escape uh, this is a fall retreat with three other youth groups, October 8th through the 10th, and the cost is $25. Also, for those that plan to attend Rush up at Freed Hardeman, uh, you must register yourself on the Freed Hardeman website and find your own rooming accommodations. Also, there's going to be a meeting of Lads to Leaders events leader, event leaders and all, any adults who wish to help with Lads to Leaders in the little chapel uh, this Sunday evening following Bible class. I want to remind all the men of the congregation that you're invited to a Brotherhood Breakfast devotional this coming Sunday morning at 8.30. And uh, this will be a period of fellowship. We'll eat together. And if you've not yet signed the list in the foyer and plan to come, please do so. Please remember the bridal shower table in honor of Katie DeMeo and Justin Keaton. Uh, please uh, uh, view that tonight and uh, plan to participate in that. Also, there's a lot of dishes down in the annex on the back table. So if you've, uh, uh, ladies, if you're missing a dish of some kind, or if you brought something, you might want to check that and make sure you pick those up. Also, uh, Panama Missions, Operation Christmas Joy, uh, those need to be turned in by September the 14th. And I want to remind the Golden Circle that this luncheon is going to come up this coming Tuesday, uh, September the 13th at 1130 in the Annex. Uh, Terry Roberts, uh, an airport manager of the Boonville Baldwin Airport, will be our guest presenter. And so I hope all of our Golden Circle will plan to attend that this coming Tuesday. We want to express our deepest sympathy to Sister Kim Farr and her family and the sudden death of her mother, Linda Childs of Corinth, uh, Linda was a preacher's wife for many, many years, and she will long be remembered for her kind and humble spirit. Uh, visitation uh, for that family is tonight from 6 until 8. Also, visitation tomorrow from 10 till 11 at the Magnolia Funeral Home South, at 741 Highway 45 South in Corinth. The funeral itself will be tomorrow at 11. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, Brother Jim Estes is going to be leading our singing. Brother J.T. Beard will dismiss us in prayer before we go to class. Mark, please, number 902 for the invitation song. Number 902. Then turn to number 483. Number 483. Is it for me to say?
Sunday, September the 11th, will mark the 21st anniversary of that tragic day, 9-11-01. For those of you who are older, we remember that day very vividly. I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing on that occasion when the news broke that uh, airliner had crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center and then we were all witness to the second airliner that crashed into the second tower. It was almost like watching a movie unfold. How could this be real, an attack on our nation? Then we heard about the plane crash at the Pentagon. And for all we knew on that particular day, that was just the first of perhaps many other attacks to come. On that day, there was tragic loss. Several thousand people lost their lives, civilians, the police officers, as well as those who worked for the fire department. And that made a great impact in my life, and I know it made an impact in your life as well. I know my son was seven years old at the time, but uh, that certainly played in his decision to ultimately choose to become an officer in the Marine Corps. He wanted to serve his country. And I think that day affected all of us in many, many respects. But you know, there's some lessons that I learned from that occasion that I think we can apply to our lives spiritually. One thing that we need to understand is that nothing is certain. We have no assurance of tomorrow. James says our lives are like a vapor here for a little while, and then they vanish away. We just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we also need to understand the fact that there is suffering, there's evil in this world, and you know, God's not responsible for that particular evil. And without going into a full diagnosis of that particular statement, you know, we're free moral agents and we make choices. Sometimes we make choices that lead to our being hurt or others being hurt. Sometimes other people make tragic decisions and maybe they take innocent life by driving drunk or something of that nature. Or maybe there's evil rulers in our world today that take advantage of those in their country that uh, are in need. And so evil is real. And yet we always need to remember this, that God is in control. And if we'll put our faith and trust in God, no matter what happens in this world of uncertainty, everything is ultimately going to be okay. And that's really the thought that I want to leave with you tonight. It's easy to fall into this gloom and doom mentality. You know, everything is just going to the dogs. And, you know, is it really worth it to, to live the Christian life? Are we really making a difference? All God expects us to do as individual Christians and as the church today is to do our very best. And that's it. The Bible says if we're faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10, we will receive the crown of life. The one that endures to the end, that's the one that's going to be saved. And so we want to keep on keeping on. We want to let our light shine as Christians every single day so that our works bring glory and honor to God by all that we do, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It may be tonight as we sing this invitation song that maybe there's one or more here who's outside of Christ. You have no hope of going to heaven in the current state that you're in, and you may need to respond tonight in simple trusting faith in Jesus that 
He is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, making that beautiful confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and then being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. with me please our most gracious and divine heavenly father we're thankful unto you for all the blessings of life we're thankful for this beautiful day that's been ours to enjoy and for this opportunity to come together tonight to study your word we're thankful father for the devotional time that we've had and we pray your blessings be with us as we continue to study in our classes of in various uh, uh, areas of this uh, building and we Pray you would be with the teachers, help them to present the things that would be most profitable, profitable for us as listeners. May we apply the things we learned to our lives that we might be more pleasing to you in the future than we have in the past. We are thankful, Father, for your love and care for us. We know, Father, that you love us because you sent your Son to die on Calvary's cross that we, through obedience to your will, could have a home with you in heaven when this life is over. Help us to prepare ourselves to spend eternity with you. We know, Father, that there are many of our congregation that are sick and having difficulties in life, health problems, and we pray that you would be with them, that the things that need to be done would be done, that they might be able to return to their normal places in life. We're also mindful of the one that uh, lost her life uh, this week, and we pray, Father, that your richest blessings be upon the far and the ch child's family that you would comfort them as, as only you can and help us to be a comfort to them as well. Pray that you'd go with us now, that you would guide, guard, and direct our lives, helps us live our lives better every day. And when we do fail, we pray, Father, that you would continue to forgive us as we continue to ask your forgiveness. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
It's so great to see you tonight. Hey, this I like this arrangement because, see, we don't have a hard end to the class. We just go on and on and on and on. I don't have to worry about stopping at any, any time. But really great that you're a part of our study, and there, there are a lot of classes going on. This class is going to be studying from the book of Acts, and we're making our transition from uh, studying the uh, introduction of those truths related to the establishment of the church, and then we're kind of in the, in the middle of that, but we're going to use it as a segue to also talk about the first of nine conversion stories that are described in the book of Acts. So looking forward to that. I have a lot of sick people that we're praying for, and I hope that you'll get one of those bulletins if they're available and be praying for these folks every day. Irene Baker, who's Melinda's mother, has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's recovering from foot surgery. They took her out of the boot. She's in a brace now. She's doing a lot better, and we're just so grateful for that. Austin Wentz is undergoing a brutal regimen of chemotherapy treatment on his young body. So very difficult. We just pray he'll be able to bear up under that. Terry Green is um, hoping to have surgery very soon for the removal of the tumor, and hopefully hopefully that will remedy his situation. Uh, Ann Stevens and Don Dawson are both in our prayers long-term just with health issues. Kim Fowler is going to be having surgery here really in a few days because it was going to be the middle of the month. So next next Wednesday. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Connie Mooney's recovering from her hip replacement surgery. Sue James has cancer. Equipment uh, Wigginton's at Landmark. Uh, Dale's Uncle Wade's been missing now for 77 days. Just remember the Davis family. Carolyn Wilcutt recovering from her broken bones. Catherine Floyd is at home. I uh, think she's got uh, home care. Uh, Joan and uh, Martha's sister, Norma, has uh, several health issues. We just want to remember her, too. Melinda Hester is recovering from her shoulder surgery. She also injured her foot, so a lot of, a lot of different things going on with her. Marianne Holly had surgery on the 23rd for the brain tumor. She was conscious, and so we're praying she'll have a, a good recovery. Charlotte Moore's grandson, still recovering from his injuries in the four-wheeler. Bobby Petty's Joe Garrett's friend. He has lung cancer. Stephen Shapley from Beans Ferry has been undergoing some testing. Uh, Eric Fitzsimmons, who's Laurie Smith's brother-in-law, uh, he's undergoing some treatment, and they're very hopeful that this is going to help him. Although they scared him, scared him, with the potential of complications. So we're hoping he can get through a difficult, dark time. Ed's been also suffering with kidney stones, and I know several of you have intimated that problem to me. So I hope all of you will get over that soon. Uh, Randy Beatty had open-heart surgery. I think that went well. Coley Floyd was here Sunday. Uh, in his sling, and he's recovering from his shoulder surgery. Robert Hayes was hit by a car, had to have surgery, and is undergoing therapy. Uh, Sue Mason's not been feeling well lately. Flora Warner was not feeling well. Is she any better? She is. Okay, good. Um, Jackson, you know, had the flooding problem. I'm sure there's still some disorder about that. Uh, Steve Morgan, some of you know, he's going to be having open-heart surgery. Sue Hodgen has, or had at least, a kidney stone. She's been suffering with that. That's Stephen's mother. Tommy Nix, who's a friend of the Johnsons, he had a massive stroke. Doug Smith's dad, uh, Kelby Smith, he's not doing very well. He's had several problems they think related to his Parkinson's disease where he's fallen and he's I think he's back in the hospital right now uh, really can't walk he's just having a lot of issues that have compounded themselves recently um, got a call today from a lady named Treva Brown and she may be watching right now she's been following us online and 
she her physical situation is such she can't really travel or get out of home basically homebound but she just loves this congregation so much from what she's seen and she just wants to be a part of it so I want us to pray for her and I think that the Estes already have an appointment to go visit with her so we want to reach out to her and let her know she's important to us too uh, Bob, Bob Hassel, who is uh, Jody Smith's brother-in-law, he is, he's having surgery right now uh, as, as we're in this class. So we're going to pray that uh, he's going to get through that okay. I think it's kind of on the, on the basis of uh, some exploratory type surgery, uh, some cancer issues, I think. So we want, we want him to do well. And, and then, of course, as Doug mentioned, we want to remember the child's family and, uh, you know, Linda's husband, Jerry, and, of course, Kim and her sister. Um, terrible automobile accident. And also, in the, the, the trooper who was driving the car that, that struck hers, that is Cody McGee. Uh, he's been attending here with his wife, Courtney, for quite a while. So it's just, uh, you know, there's, there's two, two families suffering for different reasons. Uh, one is, of course, the loss of life, which is tragic. And then Cody, he injured his foot so severely that he had to go to Memphis to a specialist to see if they could help recover it. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of things to be praying about. Uh, if you can make it, if you couldn't make the visitation tonight, there'll be a visitation up there at 10 o'clock tomorrow, then the funeral's at 11. Anybody else have something before we go to prayer? Yes, Rick. Uh, my cousin, first cousin, Renee Page, we prayed for her a few months ago, which they had found lung cancer, and, uh, and they determined it wasn't. Well, it actually was. And, uh, so she's having surgery next week. It is not in the lymph nodes. So uh, that's a good thing. Can't imagine the roller coaster she's been on. But we will definitely pray. Okay. Yeah, the congregation over 2nd Street, where my mama attends. Jimmy Higginbottom family. Jimmy had COVID, he had some complications, and he passed away. <coughs> I hate that word, COVID. I, just, I hate it. Okay, let's, yes. Your grandson? And I just got finished saying how much I hate COVID. And there's another one. And there may be a lot more, but uh, we'll just, we'll pray for these specifically, but we'll, we'll just blanket it. Yes? All right. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of this day, and thank you for this time that we can be together as a church family and participate in the, the time of devotion that we just had to talk together about people we're concerned about and also to be able to study your word together. I pray all these things are going to be beneficial to the building up of our, our souls and 
our spiritual person and help us through all these things just be more attuned to what's happening around us and uh, diligent in our application of your word to our life situations. We pray, Father, that you will be with Irene Baker and her family and comfort her and give her family good time with her. Bless Martha Eaton as she's recovering from her foot issues, and we're thankful she's doing so much better. We pray for Austin Wentz as he's undergoing severe treatment for his cancer. We pray that what he's going through is going to reap good rewards. We pray for Terry Green that his upcoming surgery will be a success and he'll heal. Pray for Ann Stevens and Don Dawson who both just aren't well. We pray for Kim Fowler as she faces surgery possibly next week. We pray it's a success healing her, healing her foot. Bless Connie Mooney and her recovery. Sue James as she battles cancer. Bless Quitman Wigginton. He'll have good days in his residence. We pray for the Davis family and this, this extended period that they have just had to endure with lots of questions. We pray for some kind of resolution. Bless Carolyn Wilcutt and her recovery and Catherine Floyd as she gets better every day. We pray for Norma that she'll have good days and feel better. Please bless Melinda Hester and her recovery that she'll have full recovery both for her, her leg and for her shoulder. Ask your blessings on Marianne Holly as she recovers from her brain surgery. Bless Charlotte Moore's grandson, Baylor, as he recovers from his injuries. Pray for Bobby Petty, who's battling lung cancer, for Stephen Shapley and his health issues. I'll be with Eric Fitzsimmons as he's hoping to get better. We pray that he'll not have any of the complications the doctors have mentioned. We pray for Edward Smith that he'll be able to be free of this kidney stone soon. We pray for Randy Beatty and his recovery. Bless Coley Floyd that he'll have a full recovery from his surgery. Bless Robert Hayes and his recovery. Pray for Sue Mason that she'll have good days and feel better and be back to her regular self. We're thankful that Sister Warner's doing some better. We pray for those who still suffer in Jackson and pray that things will get back to normal for them real soon. We ask your blessings on Steve Morgan as he has surgery on his heart. Bless Sue Hodgen with her recovery from the kidney stone. Bless Tommy Nix that he'll not have any long-term effects from his stroke. We pray for Doug's dad, Brother Kelby. We pray that he can regulate treatment for his disease better and that he'll feel better and do better. We pray for Treva Brown that her circumstances physically would get better and if she can come and be a part of our fellowship here, we, we would rejoice in that. We pray for Bob Hassel, who is even now undergoing surgery. We pray, Father, you'll be with those doctors that are tending to him, that they will use great skill in assessing his situation and be able to plan uh, something to help his healing. We pray for the child's family, and we pray that you will comfort them. We pray for the McGee family, that Cody will heal from his injuries. And Lord, we just pray that you will bring good from a devastating tragedy. We pray for Renee Page as she has surgery next week. And we, we pray not, not only for the surgery, but for her emotional well-being as she's gone through just a roller coaster ride in uh, fearing cancer than being told she didn't have it and now having surgery for it. We just pray that the doctors are on top of what's happening and good will come from that. We pray for Jimmy Higginbottom who has complications from COVID. We pray for Ethan Cartwright who also has COVID and so many others. We pray this scourge will soon be as nothing. And we also pray for Vanessa Williams, who has leukemia. And we pray that the treatment for this disease will be such that she will be able to recover and have a good quality of life as a result 
of those treatments. Lord, we ask that you'll bless us now as we enter into this time of study and help it to be beneficial to us in understanding your will and your way, and then also to be able to communicate that to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that, that is the goal. I want to, as a teacher, I want to communicate something to you that's going to be useful. So I try to, try to share that. Uh, some people heard we were going to have a study of Acts, and they thought, oh, really? I've been in, you know, 20 studies of Acts. Okay, well, this would be 21. <laughs> uh, but we studied this book in this series because it's part of our five-year plan. Aside from that, there are, this is a foundational book. This is what really gets to the meat and the heart of what we're trying to do as the church, where we are. We want to replicate in a lot of ways the things that we see happening, not, not necessarily the struggles or mistakes that it make, but the things that are happening in terms of the saving of souls that's described in this book and the efforts that are put forth in order to get the gospel to people so that they can hear it and have the opportunity to obey it. Just because you put it out there doesn't mean they're going to respond to it. However, my responsibility is still to do what? Put it out there. My responsibility is to get the gospel out there. I, I ought to have a lot of confidence in God if I'm putting the pure gospel out there that he's going to do exactly what he intends to do with it. So we are kind of transitioning a little bit. We're still talking, and you'll see it here momentarily, the beginnings of the church. But at the same time, you're also going to see the first of several descriptions of conversions that take place in this book. I told you last time that those are going to work hand in hand because what we find out in Acts chapter 2, verse 47 is that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So salvation works hand in hand with being a part of the Lord's church. I wanted to bring in or remind you, so we've already gone over this text and I, I commented on it some, but I wanted to bring it back here because we're also looking for some things as we're going through these texts. We're trying to ascertain what is it that is necessary in order to bring about salvation. And I did not want you to miss what is found here in verse 22. Men of Israel, now stop and pay close attention to this. Hear these words. What does that tell you about the importance of the word. Hear these words. Israel, hear these words. Or anybody else hear these words. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hear these words. What kind of words was he going to tell them? The words of the Bible. Uh, ultimately, we're going to call that the gospel, the good news, because what he shares with them from the Old Testament scripture is actually fulfilled in none other than Jesus. Exactly. So we saw last time that he quotes from Psalm 16, right? Verses 8 to 11. He quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. He had begun with a quotation from Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32. There's a lot of Old Testament scripture quotation in this text, all of which combines to establish the fact that none of these prophecies were fulfilled in their times as God had intended for the coming of the church, but that all of those foreshadowed this event. Uh, the, the commentary on the book of Joel was, this is that. <laughs> you know, this, this right now is the fulfillment of what we read. So, men of Israel, hear these words. What kind of words? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you also know. Okay, hear this, and then, oh, by the way, God testified of it while in your presence, you saw the miracles that backed up who he is. So you yourselves, not only did you hear it, you what? You know it. You know it. That's what is the seed thought that ultimately brings down the desire to know what in the world are we going to do since we are responsible and we know it. 
We are responsible for putting the Son of God to death. So, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, all the house. Is that literal? Actually it is, because who's in Jerusalem right now? Jews from every nation. All Jews were required to be a part of this feast day. There were three, you remember. There is the Passover, and then at the end of the year, there was the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, but right now, we've got Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. Everybody was required. They've been here for 50 days. Most of these folks, not only are they hearing a story about fulfillment in the Old Testament Scriptures, but they can put a face to the name that they're hearing. Because many of them, if not all of them, had been witnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus. They were there. And so they are convicted. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, the one we've been talking about, the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. You're responsible for this, both Lord and Christ. And so they want to know when they heard this. So did they hear? They heard the word as it had been delivered to them. They were cut to the heart. What does it mean to be cut to the heart? Okay, Rick, ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Read that text for us. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. You did say 1 Corinthians. What did you say? Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Try that one. All right. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. What is godly sorrow? I sinned against God and I am sorry about it. Okay, question. Is it, would you say that you sinned against God if you put the Messiah to death? <laughs> yes. What is it that cut their heart? The cutting of the heart is godly sorrow. What? I'm responsible? Oh no, I need to do something. And you see what that text says? Godly sorrow produces what? Repentance leading to salvation. Don't miss that. Godly sorrow produces the repentance. The repentance will lead to... Question, is repentance salvation? If I say I'm sorry, I'm done. In the worldly sense, when people say they're sorry, they're pretty well what? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'll move on. In this case, I have in me produced godly sorrow. That godly sorrow is not the end. That godly sorrow will, re will produce repentance. Now, what is repentance? Okay, that's part of it. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. I'm turning away from what I was doing. However, you could turn away from that and just do something different. What I'm turning to is what? The godly sorrow has produced a desire. Since I hurt God, now I want to do what? I want to follow God. I want to please God. So godly sorrow is producing a kind of repentance, a change of heart and mind of my thinking, and that's going to change not just the way I think, but it turn me in the direction to change my walk to walk for Jesus, okay, as opposed to walking for myself. I am, I am responsible, I'm guilty for what Jesus did, but, but in turn, then I'm going to change from that. And instead of being against him, I'm going to be, I'm going to be for him. Okay. Okay. I'm really sorry, but I don't change. <laughs> Some people have that too. Right. And 
Oh, well, think about this. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They're cut to the heart, right? That's what they're going to ask. However, did everybody on site obey the gospel? No, they did not. No, they did not. So when Peter heard this, they were cut to the heart, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What, what's the remedy for this? We're cut. We, we have godly sorrow. We want to change. Well, what, what do we need to do? He says, repent. Does that make sense? Did we expect to see that? Of course we did. Why? Because godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. So he says, not just repent, but also do what? Be baptized. So repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Okay, so yeah, makes sense to repent if I have the godly sorrow. But he says, in addition to that, and he uses and, which is a conjunction, which does what? According to Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah, it connects two things of, of equal force or equal value. So what we're going to do is we're going to repent and just as much as we need to repent because we have godless sorrow, we're also going to be baptized. And then there's a promise associated with that, that if I'll do those things, I will have what? The remission or the forgiveness of sins. It's similar, similar to what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Mark 16, uh, 15 and 16, when he told them to believe and be baptized, right? Believe and be baptized. Well, did these people believe yet? They believed so much that it prompted them to do what? Repent, repent. And or to have the godly sorrow, they're told then to repent and be baptized. Believe and bab belief and baptism would result in salvation. Repentance and, salva uh, and uh, baptism would result in salvation. You remember Romans chapter 1, verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Did you see that? The gospel will save what people? Those people who first believe. Belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God will prompt you to do what? Act on it. Wait a minute. I believe He is the Son of God. I also recognize I'm in sin. Therefore, my natural response would be I have godly sorrow that will produce repentance that will lead to salvation. He said belief is a prerequisite to obeying the gospel. Well, from Romans 6 verses 3 and 4, you know that the gospel is, as a doctrine, is wrapped up. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually what act here? Baptism, immersion in water. And when we come up out of that water, what has happened to us? The old man had died, the person of sin, and the new person is resurrected in newness of life. Our sins have been washed away. He tells us exactly what has to happen right there. I find it interesting several things that take place in that text. I wanted to, wanted to talk about them for uh, a minute. I'll give you some text. I told um, Rick that he was going to be reading a lot because he didn't hardly read any, if any, last week. But I want to talk about this gift of the Holy Spirit because it's also a promise that comes. And there's all kinds. There are so many ideas about what on earth that could be. And some ideas are, well, they're just patently false. And I want to share some of that with you. Uh, some people see this as an indwelling gift. And there are certainly texts that would support that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. And you go ahead and start looking that up, and then we're going to go in succession here with these verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And then I was just going to throw in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 just, just for reference. Okay, will you read Galatians 3, verse 2? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay, 
what I want you to notice there is he, he is he is asking them what is supposed to be an obvious question. In when you received the Spirit, did it come from your practice of the Old Testament law or your commitment to Jesus Christ? What's the answer to that question? It came through Jesus, did it? Did it not? In fact, you could point to what event in which that happens. Well, you could go right, right here to our text. That's why we mentioned it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Guarantee of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession, the praise of his glory, right? Okay, so the Holy Spirit in that context comes when a person does what? obeys the gospel, and how long is it supposed to remain? Until such time as you're able to lay hold on eternal life, heaven, right? Until you die is the idea. It is a, a preserver, it is a protector, that kind of thing. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Romans 8, okay. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may, all, may be also glorified together itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When did you become a child of God? You obeyed the gospel. When did the spirit start talking about you being God's child? When you obeyed the gospel. Uh, you obeyed the gospel, uh, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Many people think that that's the idea that's going along here. The the Holy Spirit as an affirmer of the fact of your salvation. Would that be a good thing? Not your head this way. If it weren't, you wouldn't be reading these verses. Uh, read just for fun Ephesians 3 verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. How does Jesus dwell in you? This is not a trick question in the text. Okay, by, by faith, by faith. Where does faith come from? Hearing the word of, hearing the word of God. Okay, so we talk about uh, Jesus, Jesus in us. In fact, Ephesians 1 that we tapped a moment ago talking about the Spirit, Ephesians 1 verse 13, is talking about Christ being in us. Well, how did Christ ever get in us? The idea there was influence. Through, through faith, He dwells in us. Well, there's a great debate as to whether the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian literally, that is, He lives in you, or whether there is a figurative sense, as that text might suggest, maybe by faith. I just find it kind of interesting, for instance, in the Old Testament Scriptures, if you even looked at the face of God, what would happen? You'd die. Um, People, when they were in the presence of even angels, what did they do? Fell on their faces as though they were dead, terrified. It seems amazing to me if it is true that the Holy Spirit, which is deity, literally and actually dwells in all of us, that how in the world that would even be possible given that deity and the flesh, that they mix pretty well? That would be a big zero. Another, another idea is that when he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not the gift, the Holy Spirit being the gift, but the gift that the Holy Spirit gives. And in this context, that gift is what? It's our salvation. There are texts that describe that as well. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come 
if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified in themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. So, in your salvation, you accepted the truth about Jesus, you believed in him, and we rejoice in, we even rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. However, if you turn against that, it is like you're tearing him down from that, and you're crucifying him afresh, as though you're putting new sin on him, causing him to suffer all over again. But the whole pattern of that is that, okay, in the process of, of the view toward that, what you actually do have is salvation, and you have tasted. And then he lists several what are, is, uh, Peter would describe as divine godly attributes. How in the world is it that you and I, frail humans, sinners, and whoever says he doesn't sin is a liar, even, even the child of God. First John chapter 1, you're a liar, you deceive yourself. How can that person be even party to the things of God? Well, he says, you taste of those things. You're a partaker of those. And as you're partaking of those things, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He is testifying to your continued what? Association or presence, right, with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Saved, how did that salvation come? It came through faith. Don't miss that part either. Someone would say, oh, I'm saved by grace. Yeah, you are. Grace that comes through what? Faith, right. Where does faith come from? Hearing the word of God. Grace is the gift of God. God's gift of salvation. How do we tap into that gift? Through obedience to the... Is this brain surgery? No. This, this, this is pretty simple stuff. Okay, don't, don't get all scared. I'm, I don't want you to read all of Galatians chapter 3. I just put that on there because that whole text is about the gift of salvation. What God did throughout time, including the use of Abraham in order to bring about our salvation. And the funny thing is, when he concludes it, he talks again about the gospel, about how we put Christ on in baptism. Now, you and I, we can debate about this thing. People have all kinds of series of lessons to talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in us. There is no doubt about it. The Bible talks about, with a certainty, you can't even claim to be a child of God if the Spirit doesn't dwell in you. The question is not whether the Spirit dwells. The question is often, how does the Spirit dwell? That elicits a tremendous study. However, that's not what I'm trying to promote right here. What I want us to understand is whether or not you believe that the Holy Spirit dwells personally or through some means as faith, like Christ dwells, Ephesians 3 verse 17, the one thing I want you to truly realize is that he is not talking about these people on the day of Pentecost being baptized and then all of a sudden receiving the, gift, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as though they all receive miraculous gifts. Now there are plenty of denominational doctrines out there that purport to prove, I guess by their own actions, that boy, when we're baptized, we receive all of these miraculous gifts. Listen, that, that just is not true. In fact, in this setting itself, okay, Rick, uh, read chapter 2, this is Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 43. What does that text say? And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Wait a minute. The signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Why not by everybody that was present? Because only the Apostles were doing miraculous things on this day. They had already received the Holy Spirit that enabled them to be able to do that. Nobody else is doing that. What does chapter 6, verse 6 say? Before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Okay. 
they laid hands on them, guess what they're going to do in the following verses? We find out that those people upon whom the apostles laid their hands, the apostles who had the ability to do the miraculous, when they laid their hands upon these quote-unquote deacons, they were enabled to be able to do what? Miracles, miraculous things. So hint, hint, it seems like, just seems like, the apostles had to lay hands on them first. Well, what does chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17 say? And now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who then they were come down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay, wait a minute. They had obeyed the gospel, and know what that text said? Why didn't they get the Holy Spirit? Well, they did get the Holy Spirit in the degree to which the promise was the gift of the Holy Spirit, which could have been the Holy Spirit itself, non-miraculous, or could have been the gift of salvation. That's a debate unto itself. However, one thing we know that did not happen was that they received what? Miraculous ability, because he has, we have to have people sent to Samaria in order to lay hands on them, Peter and John, so that they can receive those gifts. Wait a minute, they had obeyed the gospel, why didn't they get those gifts? Philip, couldn't, Philip, we're going to learn, who is actually the deacon Philip from Acts chapter 6. That guy, uh, chapter 6 verse 5, that fella actually didn't have the ability. He could do miracles, but he couldn't pass the ability on simply because he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. Right, in this text, it describes the event. Here are people, the Samaritans, people from Samaria who had obeyed the gospel, they didn't have miraculous abilities. We're going to send them in there so that they can do them. Why would that be useful? How many people of you are toting around the New Testament uh, here in the first century there in Samaria? This many, zero. Would it be helpful to be able to prophesy? Would it be helpful to be able to miraculously speak in tongues? Would it be helpful to do these miracles without the Scripture in hand? Absolutely, yes. Uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Or 19, sorry. 19, 1 through 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the, with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came, Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Hey, now watch this very carefully. Have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believe? No, we hadn't even ever heard that you could do that. I'm going to baptize you so that you can receive that promise. Then when he baptized them and they received that promise of the Holy Spirit, then what did he do? He laid, was he being redundant? Why would he lay hands on them if they already had the miraculous uh, ability that comes from the Holy Spirit? That's because in baptism, they didn't receive that. Yes? Uh, read 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 real quick. I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on my hands receive this gift. Paul had laid hands on him. What was Paul, by the way? An apostle of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, and then we'll end on that. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. I long to see you, members of the church that are in Rome, I long to see you so that when I see you, 
you people that have been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is to you and to your children, those who are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call, those folks, he says, oh, I need to come to you so I can lay my hands on you to impart some spiritual gift. Did they receive these spiritual gifts when they obeyed the gospel? No, they did not. An apostle had to come and literally actually do what? Lay hands on them. Listen, folks, and with this last quip, you can leave. If an apostle hasn't laid hands on you in order to impart unto you some spiritual gift, then you don't have one. And I don't care how much you gibber and jabber and go on about it, if an apostle of Jesus Christ hasn't laid hands on you, you don't have that miraculous ability. Oh, wait a minute. How many of those we got these days? This many. Stew on that for a little bit. Okay, they're about to bust the doors down. Let's have a quick prayer and then we will be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time of study. Thank you for the opportunity to be together in fellowship. Lord, help us to be wise in our discerning of your scriptures. And then, not just to learn it ourselves, but to handle it in such a way as to share that with someone who may be in total ignorance about your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.